Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory for ever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Right then. Some of us here have been getting a bit lax, I think. And so we're going to start tightening up on things a bit. We've all been turning a bit of a blind eye to these very important things. I've noticed that some of you have been wearing clothes that have been made from blends of two different types of fabric. Um, that's just not on. You know, polyester and cotton, that's a common choice. Um, by Leviticus 19, verse 19, we should not do that. Some of you men, I've noticed, uh, think you, with your felt hats that you buy, might think that you're pretty smartly attired because you buy the Gutacubra hat instead of the El Cheapo wool felt hat. Well, do you realise the Akubra hat is made from rabbit fur? And rabbits are an unclean animal. Um, yes, they chew their cud. Um, and in fact, worse than that, sometimes they let it pass all the way through and eat their droppings. But we're not allowed to touch dead rabbits. So no more felt hats. Uh, at Christmas time, I've heard a number of you talk about looking forward to eating prawns. No more prawns. And sausage sizzles. Whoever thought that was a good idea for the church, to have sausage sizzles? You never know what's in those sausages. Sometimes sausage skins are made from pig's bowels. And, and often, of course, pork sausages have got pork in them. Hmm. Some people have been shopping on a Saturday. What part of, do, of keep my Sabbath holy do we not understand? Now, there has been one good thing about COVID. Since COVID's happened, I've noticed that you, some of you have been washing your hands before worship. Um, probably not near enough of us, though. But it's time to get to the root of the problem. Men, we're going to have a circumcision check. All right? So um, you realise, of course, that to be a Christian... You have to be circumcised into the covenant of Abraham. So we'll take care of that. Now, quickly, before anybody 
before anybody gets up and rushes out, or if you're a first-time listener to our podcast, that's not what we preach here, okay? So, so please don't run away. Um, but it possibly is what we would be preaching if the Apostle Paul had not written this letter to the Galatians. Now, none of us need to be theological geniuses to pick up that, that Paul's um, got a bit of a bee in his bonnet as he's writing this letter to the Galatians. Even in the opening pages, of uh, opening um, paragraphs of this letter, we can really see that he's got a bee in his bonnet. And the reason for this is because the very nature of the gospel is at stake. And whether the gospel is something which is for all nations and for all ethnicities, or whether to become a Christian, first you have to become a Jew and therefore keep all of the Jewish religious laws and legalities that were required under the old covenant, that's what's at stake here. And that's why he wrote this letter to the Galatians. So let's set the scene. Paul is writing to a bunch of churches in the region known as Galatia. It's part of modern day Turkey. Um, in Bible times, they used to call it Asia or an Asia Minor. And the church in Galatia were mostly Gentiles. That means they weren't Jews. Now, Paul is the one who had taken the gospel to them. The simple gospel message of grace and forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel message that Paul preached wherever he went. And that's the gospel message that he preached there, and that's the message they received. And Paul was responsible for planting many of the churches in that region. But since that time, Paul had moved on, as missionaries do, preaching the gospel in other lands. And a group of people who we now call the Judaizers wandered into town, and they came up to these Galatians and they said, hey, look, it, it's all very good that you're wanting to be Christians, but you've missed the first step. You realise, of course, that Jesus came as the saviour for the Jews. And so for you to be saved and for you to become a Christian, the first step is you have to become a Jew. And, of course, the first step of that is for, for you blokes, you'd better get yourself circumcised because that's the mark of the people of God. Now... It seems like the touchstone, the, the not negotiables, those things that set the Jews apart and made them distinct from the Gentiles, the bare minimum, if you like, centred on issues of circumcision and the food laws. Now, something I've noticed even today is when a group of people really, truly desire to honour God with every part of their being, if somebody seemingly in authority tells them, oh, look, there's a few simple practical things you need to do or a few practices that you need to keep to make God happy, well, because they really want to make God happy and because they recognise the authority of this person, they just do it. I mean, there's no harm in it, is there? Or is there? Well, actually, yes, there is. And so this letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians is a very important letter. The teaching of the Judaizers, he had to nip that in the bud, otherwise it would be something which would still be affecting us today. You see, God 
was doing a new thing through Jesus Christ. Jesus gave the example of, you know, you, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. What happens if you do? It bursts. And he was wanting us to be like the old wineskins and then pour Christianity into it. So God was doing a new thing here. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was God's means of salvation for the nations, not just for the Jews. And yet the Judaizers were putting a whole heap of hurdles in front of them and putting burdens on their backs, trying to make them carry the burden of the religious law that even the Jews hadn't been able to carry. And all this is going to come out as we study this letter. So, if Paul is making an argument against people who were seemingly in authority, the first thing he had to do was to state his own credentials. What's Paul's authority? Well, Paul claims to be an apostle. In the Greek, the, the word apostle means one who is sent or, or, or an envoy. But in the early church, it's more than this. It, it was a person, if a person was designated as an apostle, they, it, that was to be recognised as a person of great foundational t authority, right? So, for example, uh, when Judas Iscariot hung himself and died, Peter get, got up and, and said, look, we need to elect a replacement. And the reason for that was because a prophecy had said that somebody would take his place. And so they talked about it and they narrowed it down to two blokes. Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice. He had three different names. I don't know whether those, whether two of them were nicknames or what, not sure. Uh, and the second bloke was Matthias. Now, what made these two blokes suitable was the fact that they'd been following Jesus right from the start, right? Jesus didn't only have 12 disciples. He had lots of disciples, but he had the 12 special ones that were part of his inner circle. But these two blokes had also followed Jesus right from the beginning. They'd heard his teaching. They knew his teaching. But the most critical point was that they had to have been eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. And so they came up with Joseph and Matthias. They then cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias and he became an apostle. Now, I've said this before, and I'm sure I'll say it again. I would be very wary of anyone who claims to be an apostle today. Um, usually or often, they will be claiming an authority for themselves that no man should have. The role of an apostle in the early church was to clarify and to make known what the true gospel is and, and to be witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And we now have their testimony, the apostolic testimony is now in, in the books of the New Testament. But the thing is, Paul was different to this. Paul hadn't followed Jesus. He didn't walk with Jesus. And in fact, before Paul became a Christian, he was dead against Christ. And he was the one who oversaw the persecution of the followers of Jesus. Um, we're told that at the stoning of Stephen, he was the he was the first one to be first person to be martyred for the, for their faith. That Paul's the one who's watched over everybody's cloaks and stuff, and he approved of the persecution of the, the execution of Stephen 
There he was going, good job, fellows. And in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul refers to himself as the least of the apostles, the least deserving. Quite literally, he says that he's an abortion of an apostle. Uh, the English Standard Version puts it quite nicely when it says, as to one untimely born. But Paul was called and sent by the resurrected Jesus Christ himself. It wasn't, the blokes didn't, the, the other apostles didn't get together and elect him as an apostle. Jesus Christ himself was the one who appointed Paul. Now, I'm going to start using the name Saul. I hope I don't confuse anybody. Because Paul actually started out as Saul. That's what his parents named him when he was born. He later on changed his name to Paul because he was working amongst Gentiles and, and, and Paul was a Gentile name. Saul was a, was a Jewish name. So Saul, as he was called back then, he was on the road to Damascus and the reason he was going to Damascus is he had a very important job to do, to arrest Christians. He was going there to arrest Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem to put them on trial and then possibly oversee their execution as well. And on that road, he was struck by a bright light and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Meantime, Jesus also spoke to a believer by the name of Ananias and told Ananias, look, I want you to go and, and um, visit Saul. Um, now, Ananias, first of all, thought... Are you sure about that, Jesus? I mean, I've heard about this bloke. I've heard why he's actually coming to town. He's on his way here to arrest us Christians and take, drag us back to, to be put on trial. And Jesus says, yeah, I know that. You go and pray for him. And the Lord said, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Right? Jesus here was appointing Saul, who later changed his name to Paul, as an apostle. Now, I find this amazing. Right? Saul, he, he was a Jew's Jew, right? He, he, was, he was in training to, to be a religious leader there. And... Um, and it's this Jew's Jew who Jesus sent and actually became the main apostle to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And before that, Saul wouldn't, have, wouldn't go anywhere near them. He'd, he'd cross over to the other side of the road so that he wouldn't get too close to a, to a Gentile and get unclean. And because of Paul's background, I suspect that this could be one of the reasons why Paul is the one who stood against the Judaizers. You see, at one time, Paul had been zealous for the law. But the zealousness for the law that he held was the very thing that motivated him to persecute the Son of God. 
and his church. Imagine how Saul must have felt. I mean, we've got to be really understanding here. Saul genuinely thought that he was doing God a service, right? He was, with his whole heart, wanting to do the right thing for God. And he saw these Christians with what he saw as a heresy, and, oh, we've got to stamp these out. I've got to do this for God. And here he is doing the best that he can to stamp Christianity out. And there on the road, the Son of God rouses on him, strikes him with a bright light and says, it's me you're persecuting. Now that's got to be an oops moment, doesn't it? So Paul wasn't initially chosen and appointed as an apostle by men. He was appointed as an apostle by Jesus Christ himself and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And as an apostle, his job is to preach the gospel. And he reminds us what the gospel is. Right here at the opening words of this letter, he wants us to remember what's at stake. Grace and peace. We don't come to peace with God through works. We don't come to peace with God through re religious rules and regulations. It's entirely by grace. But what's this grace look like? The Lord Jesus Christ gave himself. He died on the cross for us, for our sins, to deliver us, to rescue us from this present evil age. That's what grace is. The Son of God gave his life to rescue us from our hopeless predicament that we're in and to rescue us from the evil age that we're a part of. Now, this wasn't some kind of accidental thing. This was the will of our Heavenly Father. You know, the old covenant that we read about in the Old Testament, that wasn't God's failed first attempt, like some people like to think. And Oh, well, that didn't work. I guess I better try something different. I might, I might send my own son to die on the cross this time. That's not at all what it was about. All of the old covenant was all building up. It was all part of God's master plan to rescue us by the blood of his son. Jesus himself told us that he is the fulfillment of the law. Right? That's the simple gospel message that Paul had preached to them in the beginning. Grace and peace through the shed blood of Jesus. And that's the message we preach today. And how do we respond? The, the gospel isn't any good to you unless I tell you how we need to respond. We kneel before Jesus as Lord. We confess our sins to him. And we ask for forgiveness. What then? Circumcision? Change of diet? No. That misses the whole point. We simply yield ourselves completely to God. Lord, I've been living my life for me. And that's sin against you. 
God, forgive me. So we give our whole hearts to Jesus, our whole lives to Jesus, and we begin to live by the Spirit. And this is what baptism signifies. When we're baptised, we go down into the water. That's like us dying to selves. And then we come up out of the water, and, and that's like us being born again anew in Christ Jesus. We don't try and appease God by washing our hands before our meal. We might please our mothers by doing that. But that's not the way to please God. Um, and we don't try and appease God by keeping a new moon festival or by keeping any particular religious observances. This is the gospel message that Paul had preached. And that's the gospel message that the Galatians had received. But the troublemakers came into town and said, that's not enough. And Paul is absolutely astonished. Uh, as a pastor, I get this. I was talking to another pastor in town just this week and he and I are both astonished in a bad way, uh, shocked, that some people who we thought were good, solid Christians get so easily depart, they so easily depart from the true gospel and embrace a new, more appealing teaching. I don't get it. Why? And Paul was feeling this way. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Who are they deserting? Were they deserting Paul as the preacher? Were they deserting his message? Well, yes and yes, but no and no, that's not the main problems. By deserting Paul and the message that he had preached, by deserting the true gospel, they were deserting him who called them in the grace of Christ. To turn to a different gospel is to desert God. It's to desert God the Father because he is the one who planned this beautiful gospel message. It was his rescue mission that he has planned throughout the ages. It's to desert, to desert God the Son because he is the one who gave himself on the cross for this very grace. And it's to desert God the Holy Spirit because he is the one who calls us and leads us to the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. But the thing is, there is only one gospel. And if the gospel message ever gets changed, or if I feel a need to tweak the gospel message a little bit and make it a little bit more appealing, then it isn't the gospel. It becomes a distortion. It becomes a lie of the devil. And basically what Paul's saying here is, I don't care who tells you another gospel. If it isn't the gospel that you heard me preach, and that if it isn't the gospel that you responded to when I was there last time, then it's not the gospel. Do you know why false gospels are so dangerous? It's because many who respond to a false gospel believe that they're now saved. 
but they're not. And so Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Whoa, them's there are fighting words. He said it once and then he repeated it. Now, if you're at all familiar with the way Paul writes letters, he's not one for wasting words. And so for him to repeat it, he is adamant here. There is no debate. If anyone preaches a different gospel to the age-old gospel of grace in Christ Jesus, let him be accursed. I'm a preacher. And just between you and I, I don't want to be accursed. And even more so, I don't want to ever lead anyone astray. So it's really important to be able to tell the difference between the true gospel and a distorted gospel. How does the gospel get distorted today? Well, there's two common ways, and they're, I guess in some ways they're opposites of each other. The sorts of distortions that we see most commonly today is to water the gospel down. It's to remove the offence from it. In, in a lot of churches, they will never mention sin. And some preachers will never preach the need to repent of sin and to ask for forgiveness. I had somebody tell me just the other day that we don't need to confess our sins to God because when we changed our mind about Jesus, we were forgiven of all our sins, past, present and future. Therefore, we don't ever have to confess our sins to God ever again. And I said to him, well, why do you think when the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? Jesus said, part of that prayer is forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. You see, repentance and forgiveness of sins go hand in hand. And if the gospel that's being preached is, is something that tries to take away the offence of the gospel, and it is offensive, that I'm a sinner and I need to, and I'm completely out of the scope of being able to be forgiven unless I confess my sins to God and ask him for forgiveness. And if anyone tries to remove the offence of the gospel, then it's not the gospel. And accursed be anyone who preaches it. But the dis another distortion, and it's the distortion of the gospel that Paul stood against here in this letter to the Galatians, can be pretty much the opposite. It tried to add to the gospel. And by doing that, it, it, it took away from grace. And the issue that we're going to see in this letter is what Paul refers to as works of the law. And we're going to talk more about this in following weeks, but I do want to say this right from the outset. As we study this letter, it's going to be really important that we don't confuse works of the law and not doing works of the law. Let's not confuse that with lawlessness. 
God delights in when we keep God's law. Because it's about doing the right thing. And God loves it when we do the right thing. And towards the end of Galatians, Paul's going to talk about living in the Spirit. Where as we live with Christ in our hearts, we actually do what the law requires. And by the way, if we're not living righteously, if, then that means we're living according to the flesh, which means we're out of step with God. Right? So let's be really clear right from the outset. Paul here is not discouraging the Galatians from living righteously. That's not what's at issue. What is at issue and what Paul's really angry about is that the gospel is being changed to say, you non-Jewish Christians, you need to get circumcised and you need to be eating the proper tucker and stop eating the wrong thing. All right, so you with me? You understand those differences? And I'm telling you this because it's not uncommon to come up against people, and, I, and I've come up against people with this very problem, um, who would appeal to the book of Galatians and say, don't, don't put any effort into trying to be a good person because that's legalism and that's a work of the law. But you know what? As we read this letter to the Galatians, we're going to see that is absolutely not what Paul is saying here. The true gospel is there is no one righteous. And we understand this, don't we? Not one of us can save ourselves by being good. Not one of us can save ourselves by keeping the right religious uh, rules and regulations. And not one of us can save ourselves by being very good moral people. We are all saved by grace and through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We kneel before him and we beg for forgiveness. We just lay ourselves down before him and go, I know that I can't be saved because I can't be good enough, but I know that by your sacrifice, I am saved. But if we ever start adding anything to this, it's not the gospel. And a curse be the preacher. On a personal note, it's a humbling thing to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The stakes are really high. The stakes are high for those who hear the gospel. It must be the true gospel. And the stakes are high for the preacher. If I start tweaking the gospel to make it a little bit more appealing, to make it a little bit less offensive, I'm accursed. Ouch. Do we understand how important the true gospel is? Do we? Jesus gave himself to deliver us from this present evil age. Let's never desert him by turning to a different gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you have called us to your wonderful, life-giving gospel. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you willingly gave yourself
to rescue us from this evil age. Forgive us for when we hold on to this world as if this world is something grand, when you died to rescue us from it and you call it this present evil age. Lord, we ask that you would help us to always know and always recognise the true gospel, that we would hold fast to this, never taking from it, never adding to it, because your rescue plan is perfect just the way you designed it. We praise you, Lord, in the name of our Saviour. Amen.